This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, There's an Elephant in My Bathtub, and the author, Art Miramontes, along with his son, Arturo Miramontes, who did the illustrations. Hello, Art, and welcome to this segment of Author Talk. How you doing, Steve? Uh, very, very glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. There's an elephant in my bathtub. Now, this goes back a couple years with your son, Andre, who's got a great imagination. Tell us how all this came about. Um, my, all, my, all my kids actually have incredible imaginations. Um, Andres has a, uh, a vivid, just an incredible wild imagination. Um, in this particular story here, my son, actually, Arturo, uh, came up with the idea um, about putting something together uh, and that was based just on observations of my son, Andres, because, again, Andres, you know, kids love to play pretend and talk to themselves and do just uh, just a bunch of little crazy things around the house. Uh, uh, he observed them um, uh, in, in his journey and trying to, take a, trying to take a bath and the things that he would say and come up with. And uh, one day he said, this, this would make a great story, Dad. What do you think? Um, my wife, who is also a, a published author, you know, kind of talked to her, and she gave us some ideas, so we kind of collaborated. Uh, my son started to jot some notes down, and, uh, you know, we just blossomed into this just uh, uh, fun, vivid, colorful story um, about uh, about Andres trying to take a bath. Of course, of course, you know, you can't take a bath just with a, with an elephant. There's got to be a whole lot more animals around, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he just he, his imagination again is so creative that uh, you know it starts off with the uh, um, with an elephant and we introduce a giraffe uh, kind of midway and uh, before you know it there's an alligator staring at him watching him uh, brush his teeth and uh, um, toward the very end we have monkeys springing out of the laundry basket um, you know water splashing all over the place. Uh, as mom comes up to uh, identify what what's going on, what's happening, um, and and sees the big mess around the bathroom and the bathtub, and uh, realizes that he's just kind of kidding around. He's just playing pretend and imagining that uh, he's encountering all these wild animals. And uh, um, w- when we write the story, it's kind of in a it's, it's in a rhyme form. So you've got rhymes, and you've also got some counting that happens throughout the story. Um, Again, and it ends up, and he kind of wraps it up saying, it's just my imagination, so it's got a very cute ending to it. And, of course, with a children's book, illustrations, as you've already mentioned, plays such an important part, but it's also very challenging to uh, uh, connect with the words, the rhyme, and it works. It just is uh, It's very creative. Um, Arturo's been, um, uh, who illustrated the book, um, he's been drawing since he was two. I mean, he literally—he's been drawing since he was uh, a young, a young little man. And um, uh, we noticed that he just had an amazing talent. And when we put the story together, we we actually did some storyboards. Um, so the the story or the pictures, illustrations changed various times um, throughout this whole process. 
until we felt we were until we felt we had it right and until we felt the words were connecting with the pictures um, and we tried to um, make them very simple we kept them very simple um, there's times where you know you can use um, some software and and digitize them a little bit but uh, we try to keep them very simple so that the kids can really relate to something that you know they would do it's it's that kind of uh, that level of drawing I would say um, but it, it really, they really stand out. They're very colorful. We made sure they they had a lot of color in them, and the illustrations certainly matched the uh, storyline. So, and the whole goal here is to encourage kids to continue to read and and to really develop good reading habits because that's so important as uh, for children. Is you know to lay that groundwork. If kids read and and love it, then they're probably going to do it throughout their lives. We, we really do. We, um, the way we're messaging the book is it's a read-along. We want parents, we want to encourage you know, family time as well. We want to encourage the parents to read along and support and help their kids so that they develop those skills, which are the basic foundation of learning. So it's very key that um, you know, the whole family contributes into the success of the child. Um, with, that, with that, we also encourage them, we also encourage academics uh, encourages the importance of creativity and imagination. So th- there's actually two messages. One, again, is the creativity and imagination within the book. But um, we also have, are conducting uh, presentations at local elementary schools, um, and we also get that platform to, um, to talk to the kids about education and about, you know, commitment, you know, staying in school and focus. So this this book actually opens a lot of doors for us to communicate a lot of great messages to kids, um, and we've got quite a few schools that are jumping on board um, with the presentation as well as obviously promoting the book. But I think the message is the key message is is in the presentations where we're actually at the schools, talking and touching the lives of 900 students, um, which is pretty phenomenal. So that's exciting. The title of the book, There's an Elephant in My Bathtub, and it's just the beginning, right? Uh, many books to follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have um, the two more that are going to be coming out in March of 2011. Um, again, one is about the um, a young knight, and that one's, very, um, that one's actually my favorite, just because it was a story that was written 20 years ago. Um, when my son was born, uh, my wife actually put it together, and we're sort of upgrading it. And um, uh, it, it's a wonderful story. It's it's the traditional good versus evil. Um, we have a, a young a young knight that develops and matures, and takes on an evil dragon. Um, and there's a lot of uh, learnings and a lot of little lessons throughout the story, which just make it uh, uh, very entertaining for the kids. Um, the illustrations are are very very good. Um, I would say they're an upgrade from this book in that they're very um, they're very well defined and very well structured and, and meet meet the storyline. Um, so that's one that's going to be coming out and we're extremely excited about. And the second one, which will be, will be following that one, will be um, Captain Iguana and the Lost Treasure. Um, and it's just about a young boy who also dreams about being a pirate and the adventures of finding treasure and all the adventures that go along with finding the treasure. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a, it's a really fun book that also, uh, um, 
extends the uh, the child to use his imagination um, and have fun with it as well. So, looking forward to those two books. Do you have a website, Art? I do. I do, uh, Steve. Uh, my, my website is www.miramontisbooks.com. That's M I R A M O N T E S books b o o k s dot com and it gives you just a, a very simple website it tells it talks a little bit about us um talks about the story uh the upcoming books um there's a, certainly a way to get a hold of me um for any questions or comments um as well as uh, there's an order page where you can order there's an elephant in my bathtub um, so it's it's a pretty simple uh, website, but it's got all the information needed to uh, you know order the book and get a hold of me and, and uh, add any uh, comments that you you uh, you may have or even ideas or suggestions. We're certainly open to uh, things like that as we develop and roll out and create more stories. Um, would certainly like feedback from our our readers and see how you know their interest level and uh, just uh, love to hear from them. There's an elephant in my bathtub. The author, Art Miramontes, along with his son, Arturo, as the illustrator. Art, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity again. That was Art Miramontes. He is the author of his children's book, There's an Elephant in My Bathtub. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the walls never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. It's the code of man Keith and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine, and the show, go to his website, KeithWan.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. 
the title of the book, Soft as Iron. And the author is Giovanna Lavinia. And Giovanna joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Giovanna. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Well, good to have you with us. And we're going to talk about I, Soft as Iron, which is based on your life, but it's done in kind of a novel way. It's uh, We're going to talk about Vanna and what she has gone through. Let me read a couple of things you have written. And we'll find out why from you then, why you have written your book and done it in this way. You say this, there are books that talk about abandonment or abusive spouses or rape or adventure, suspense, etc. In my book, you'll find all of this and more. All I can say is that women who have read it told me that while reading my book, they have cried, laughed, and even felt scared. If someone thinks that his or her life is too burdensome, my book can make them realize that their life, in fact, is easy. Some told me so. Well, your life has been full of, obviously, many challenges and, um, and success. Uh, why did you take this approach? Why did you write your book in this way, Giovanna? Oh, well, of course, uh, if I wrote uh, my biography in first person, uh, um, I was afraid that people won't be interested in uh, uh, reading the life of a person which is not known for any reason specific. Uh, so, a specific reason, but then uh, um, re- writing that uh, as a novel, uh, um, interest people much better. That's what I thought anyway. And uh, it does work that way. People now, like it that way. Now, you were born before World War II, and you were born out of wedlock, and this caused problems for you. At that time, uh, the, uh, the feeling about your birth was even a challenge to members of your family that you were born out of wedlock. Well, tell us about that. At that time, that was a shame, not only very shameful, not only for uh, the child, but for uh, the mother, not for the father, because men never pay for their sin or their wrongdoing. But uh, a mother by society and religion, uh, it was uh, became a very um, shameful, and uh, the child does feel that uh, and suffer through out life. Actually, myself, I never forgive, I, I never forgive myself for being born because my, I had to witness my mother life, how she was ashamed about me, and the children feel things, even if they don't tell them. But, uh, uh, but also the um, my mother' uh, attitude toward, toward life uh, and toward what I was doing and what I was not doing was uh, uh, terrible because she was always afraid that I would commit her same errors and uh, I would suffer for the consequences like she had done. You know what I mean? And so that, that was very, very daring for for me as a child. And until I was about 45, 50, I couldn't overcome that feeling of, of feeling um, guilty. 
So you were born in Italy. I was born in Italy, and then uh, since my parents uh, were uh, mm, uh, treating me like uh, a prisoner, actually, because until 23 I was not able to go out alone until I got married. And uh, so... (laughs) She, I, I decided to uh, to marry a foreign uh, student, and uh, so I could leave my family and uh, escape this uh, kind of imprisonment. Imprisonment, but then I fell for the wrong guy. That he wasn't good at all. Uh, so things like that happen always when you. Uh, Mary just to to run away, and that's not good at all. But uh, uh, people who read my book, they realize uh, how many uh, odd circumstances uh, uh, Vanna was living in her youth, in her childhood youth, and after she got married. And uh, they will learn something about from that, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, your grandmother, your maternal grandmother, spurned you, and uh, w- did she send you to an orphanage, or your m- mother and her decided to send you to an orphanage? Well, uh, yes, because uh, uh, a child born from uh, an uh, unwed daughter was uh, so shameful uh, in their society that they preferred to get rid of the child. So Vanna was uh, sent to an orphanage until her, one of her um, aunts rescued her and delivered her, delivered her to her mother. And um, and told her, okay, this is your child. You got to take care of her, you know. And, uh, and so from then on, Vanna became the living proof of her sin uh, before society and church, because God doesn't care a bit about these things. But uh, that was the society at that time, especially at that time, anyway. So how did uh, Vanna discover her biological father? Uh, how did you discover your biological father? Because my stepfather, because my mother then married to a military man and a journalist, and uh, when he died, he, he died prematurely, Vanna uh, was so distraught about uh, his death, uh, his passing away, that uh, was crying and crying, and uh, she was uh, at her grandmother's house, home, and uh, crying uh, without stop. And uh, her grandmother got tired of it, and she said to her, okay, stop crying after all. He was not. It's your father, and your father is still alive. And from then on, uh, uh, many things happened, you know. Amazing uh, feeling, I'm sure, to discover that your father was still alive. Uh, Vanna discovers that her father is still alive. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that feeling of discovering at 13 that your father is alive? 
Well, actually, I discovered it when I was 10. And for three years, and I was overwhelmed. I couldn't believe it. But uh, I was going, I should have asked to my mother. But then at that time, many things happened. Uh, uh, my, uh, besides my mother losing her husband and uh, her um, economic support, because after that, she didn't know what to do, really. And uh, then uh, a couple of uh, uncles were made prisoner and um, executed by the um, Germans. And then uh, um, the, the mother, my grandmother, died also. So my mother was always very, very sad. And uh, I never dared to ask my mother about my real father because I was afraid to... Uh, add more, um, more, uh, how would you say, uh, uh, more grief to her life, you know what I mean? I sensed that uh, reminding her about it would be full of uh, sad memories. So I was very young, but I felt that until, uh, because they say God uh, uses different ways uh, to get to something and uh, uh, Vanna was in a boarding school at that time and uh, the nuns read uh, her diaries and from her diaries they found out about what was going on and from then on my mother uh, found out also and uh, she agreed to find my father. You see, uh, there are so many intriguing things that happened to Vanna and Everything goes one after the other, like a chain, you know. You have a chain and every little thing attached to the other. So Vanna marries Edgar. It doesn't turn out very well. It ends in a bitter divorce. But uh, Vanna's a single mother of five. Now, how in the world does she take care of so many children? Obviously, she's a very determined woman and makes sure that uh, she is able to become successful in business. Now, how did she do all that? Well, uh, uh, she only said this uh, uh, way of doing things. It's like uh, jumping into a pool and, and, and then uh, learn how to swim. And that's what I did throughout my life. I jumped into whatever I had to do. I knew I had to do something. I had no idea how to do it, but I did jump into the pool and did it. It's a question of determination and perseverance. Anybody can do it, anybody. When I started my first business, I didn't even know how to write a check because until then I was not, I never owned money. My, my husband, my ex-husband never allowed me a, a checkbook or anything. I, he would pay me a monthly um, uh, something for the, the household expenses, but I never handled money. And when I was young, my father took care of everything, my mother. So I was really naive and uh, I lacked uh, a lot of experience, but my parents, my my will uh, to do something always overcome all of the uh, difficulties, because when you want to do something, you can do it, no matter what. Giovanna, give us some of your feelings about your Catholic religion. 
Okay, uh, I was born uh, Catholic, uh, and uh, at 15, I abused Catholicism, and I fought religion since then. Uh, the Catholics, because I felt that uh, uh, they ruined my mother's life with their idea of uh, making her uh, ashamed and guilt because of my uh, being born. But then, uh, in general, I am against all religions because religion uh, uh, portrays a God which uh, is uh, scary to everybody. It's always ready to uh, punish everybody. It's always ready to be uh, unforgiving, and which is not true. God, uh, in which I believe, is uh, a force that... uh, does rule and make sure that the world, the universe, works together fine and is supposed to be good and forgiving. And But religions use God as a tool to put down people, to make them fearful. And we are not supposed to be fearful of anything because fear does paralyze people. And when you are paralyzed by fear, you don't know what to do and how to react. You're not able to react to life, to anything. You just expect to to be punished for everything, and which is it's not right. It's not right. Uh, who was that, the president of FDR, who said fear only fear itself? And that's where I never forget that. That's very true. You cannot be fear of things. So you got to go ahead and believe that there is a force, a universal force, that will work with you if you dare to do what you are sure you got to do. And uh, and that's all. And my book, my book proved that. Whenever I was uh, fearful, uh, I was paralyzed. I was ne- I was not able to do a thing to make a decision to take a decision. I was practically paralyzed, and uh, it took me a long time to uh, find the solutions. But when you are not fearful. Um, you find solution much, much easier. The title of the book, Soft as Iron, the author Giovanna Lavinia, and Giovanna, as she is so well described, that we shouldn't fear. She has some messages uh, that she wants to make sure everyone knows in her book, and that is part of it. Never let fear of any kind take hold of you, she says. Uh, never allow anyone to belittle you. Be assertive. Never give in to the power of others. Always be true to yourself. You have a very positive attitude, Giovanna. We salute you for that. Thank you, Steve. You're very kind. How do we get your book, Giovanna? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yes, you can get my book at Amazon.com, uh, that's for sure, and uh, OtherHouseAlso.com has it. Uh, so um, you can get it. And uh, I would appreciate also if you would make a comment, uh, add a comment at Amazon, because uh, uh, I feel... Uh, 
that uh, whatever people tell me about the book, if they like it or not, will help me out to uh, do a better job with uh, the sequence because I'm writing uh, another book which will be uh, the rest, uh, the reminder of my life uh, from from the 82 until now, which has been really (laughs) full of strange things also. I think I think that uh, everybody has a karma, and we follow this karma throughout life. And uh, if we accept our karma without uh, complaining too much, things are much easier. Well, thank you very much, Giovanna, for being with us on Author Talk. Okay. Also, uh, I would like to say I have a website, which is softesiron.com, and you can go there, look at some of uh, um, the book, and also about you can read about uh, some uh, of my poems and short stories, okay? Very good. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That was Giovanna Lavinia. She is the author of her book, Soft as Iron. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Out of Darkness, and the author, Luke Lloyd, and Luke joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Luke. Hello. How you doing, Steve? I'm going to read a few things that you have written about your book. Obviously, a very controversial book and a very educational, very much needed. Let me read what you have written. You say this. Out of Darkness is an educational novel designed to acquaint the reader with the doctrines of Islam that are so sensitive and troubling in the West. While the storyline is fictional, 
it demonstrates some of the doctrinal techniques used by terrorists in attacking our society. You also say this, I think it will appeal to anyone who does not understand Islam and is seeking the truth about its doctrines and goals historically and today. This subject obviously seems to uh, rear its ugly head many times in the news because of all the terrorist activity, even though I'm sure there's a lot of really great people who practice uh, Islam, uh, you know, for the most part. But still, their doctrine is very alarming, isn't it? Steve, it, it, it truly is from my perspective. And the reason I got into the book and wrote it was because of the fact that that doctrine, uh, regardless of how many friends we have who are Muslims, you still need to be aware of that doctrine and what it is and what they are being told by Allah uh, to do to live their lives uh, in accordance with the things that he has for them and he's promised them and he's asked them to do. So, yes, as... <clears throat> Uh, as you get into that, you begin to discover that there's a lot of intolerance that is there, and uh, it's a very uh, conflicting, there's a lot of conflicting information that uh, is, is in the doctrines of Islam, and you have to know and understand how to read those uh, if you're going to understand Islam. You have lived, studied, and worked in the Middle East. Uh, you've had a 30-year military career. And you say it wasn't until 9-11 that you really started connecting the dots. Now, tell us about that whole experience. Well, um, I attended the American University of Beirut, Lebanon, uh, years ago. And uh, in the 70s, one of my friends was killed by the Black September movement in uh, in uh, Jordan. He was a assistant defense attaché there, and he was murdered uh, by the Black September group. Uh, and then in, later, when Gene and I were in Egypt, uh, we weren't we were at the Sabat assass assassination in Cairo on the sixth of October, nineteen eighty one. The reason I mention those things to you is that in the first instance, I thought, gee, it's politics, it's ex economics, it's a societal problem that we have in the Middle East, and the Arab-Israeli war was going on, and, and uh, that was part of the Black September uprising that they had and, and the background for it. In Egypt, you had Sadat being assassinated, and... There were economic and political and social things going on within Egypt that, uh, and his signing of the peace accords with Israel that kind of generated my thoughts to go that way. But as a result of that assassination, uh, the religion began to play a part in it. And from that point on, um, right into 9-11, um, you know, I... I began to consider religion to be more and more important in terms of what was happening over there, whereas our government was kind of sitting on it. They they weren't talking about religion. They were emphasizing the politics, the economics, and so on and so forth. So by the time we got to 9-11 and the Islamists, the jihadists, began to talk about religion as being the key element in the recruiting 
of young men to fight in the war on terror, uh, you know, I, I began to really take a hard look at it. And I, uh, as I did, I, I learned that it was a much more key factor than uh, we, our government, uh, and many others are paying attention to right now. And so you came across a series of volumes written by the Center for Political Islam in Nashville, Tennessee, and that seemed to just come together for you to create this fictional character, uh, uh, Rick Austin, right? Rick Austin, and and uh, he's a young teacher, a journalist, a reserve officer. Uh, tell us more about Rick. What What is the role does he play? Well, he's kind of a central character in that he's in the United States, and he's been teaching and, and uh, been writing articles for journals, and he gets involved in the war on terror. His editor asks him to write some additional things, and he sets about to do that. Uh, but he doesn't have the background knowledge he needs uh, to talk intelligently about Islam in his articles. So he turns to his friend, Sam, uh, and Sam and his Lebanese uh, friends uh, spend a couple days with Rick kind, trying to get him up to date as to what's going on uh, with Islam and to explain to him the, the philosophies and idea, ideologies that are so important to uh, understanding what he's writing about when it comes to those countries, the Islamic countries of the world. And so that's that's basically what happens. And uh, <clears throat> Rick is in the process of being called back to active duty as a reservist, and uh, he gets involved with some jihadists here in the United States. And so he is kind of a central character. But the other one, of course, is uh, Ahmed Ayub, who is a Lebanese uh, Christian. And uh, Ahmed... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, he comes to the United States, but he's been involved with terrorists overseas. And uh, so he's he's kind of a central character, too, in terms of the story that unfolds in the novel. And one of your themes, one of the things you're trying to point out in the book, the, of the differences between Christians and Muslims, uh, often you hear some people say, well, we all worship the same God. Uh, how would you react to that? Well, that simply isn't true. Uh, I guess that's the easiest way to say it. It's the nature and character of God and his personality that's so important. And, um, you know, Allah came uh, in accordance with Muhammad's writings, and he isn't a very loving, he isn't portrayed as a very loving person. He's portrayed more... Uh, as a person uh, of judgment, and uh, whereas Christ is portrayed as a very loving, benevolent uh, person, and they're just two completely different characters. If you look at them, if you read the uh, the Quran on the one hand and the uh, Bible on the other hand, and so they're just they're just not the same, uh, and that that carries through with a lot of the stories that are in the Quran that uh, we had in the Bible before the Quran was written. Uh, and the tone of the stories, the results of the stories, are different than those in the Bible. Even though people will say, well, yes, 
we have Jesus in the Quran. Yes, you do, but the story is entirely different, and he's not the same person. Um, you don't have the Trinity as an example. The Quran talks against the Trinity, and Muhammad, uh, through Allah, said, no, there is no such thing as the Trinity, and anybody who believes that is against our faith. And uh, so that's just one one area. And as you write, violence is condoned in Islam, and therefore Muslims are really, the, are, are they to be jihadists, all of them? You know, I, I thought about that a great deal. I've had Muslim friends, and I hope they're still my friends, uh, because we talk about doc, I talk about doctrine, as you mentioned in the beginning, and and uh, and Muhammad, and I think as long as I stick to the doctrine and I don't get off on other things, uh, we'll always be all right, and we'll always be able to talk intelligently. But it's a little bit like a Christian, you know. Uh, I'm sure you've run into people who have called themselves Christians for years and years and years, and then one day. The Lord really touches them, and things change, and they change. They change dramatically. Islam is, a, is like that to me, in that uh, you, you go through, you, you're following the doctrines, you're attending the mosque, you're hearing everything, and then one day you really get to the doctrines of jihad, and what Muhammad, excuse me, what Muhammad, yes, what Muhammad and what Allah says about jihad. And you begin to realize that uh, in Islam, violence is condoned through jihad. And you've seen on the TV and the radios many times, uh, you know, the beheading of news people, uh, some of the things that are done in the war zone that you and I wouldn't even think about. Uh, but it's all part of the Islamic doctrine to those who really... Uh, get into it and are really touched by uh, the doctrines that Allah has has told about and explained in the Quran. And they're, they're just verse after verse that deals with it, and we don't have time to go into that. Sure. But that, to me, is, is kind of what happens. And I equate it to Christianity because I think that's exactly what happens. And the problem with that, of course, is that any Muslim who follows the doctrines right to the letter, the fundamentalists, if you will, that can happen to any of them. Just like our Fort Hood shooter, who one day, I mean, he was going along, and somebody began to talk to him about Islam and the doctrines, and he began to realize, yeah, that's what Allah really said. And the next thing you know, we have an atrocity down, and a real tragedy down in Fort Hood, Texas. And the non-Muslim the, is the uh, unbeliever and is an infidel. Yeah, that's you and I, I, I assume. I assume you're right. Muslim. Right, And, and uh, the, the correct term for the non-believer or uh, non-Muslim is uh, a kafir, and it's a very derogatory term in Arabic, and uh, as... As explained in the doctrines of Islam, uh, you know, there, there's just nothing good about a kefir. And we don't talk about uh, kefirs. We talk about unbelievers and uh, non-Muslims. 
and, and that doesn't, those words don't even come close to explaining what a kefir is. They're giving you the true sense of um, the, the unbeliever that's trying to be portrayed in the Quran. And, and the unbeliever of the kefir uh, can be treated as a second-class citizen, and historically that has happened um, around the world when Islam has dominated a given culture. And, of course, that's what it's all about. Islam wants to dominate uh, our constitutional republic uh, with the theocratic doctrines of Islam. So you don't see how any Muslim can swear an oath of allegiance to the United States? I, I think the only way that can be done is to have a, a secular Muslim. Now, uh, in fact, that... It's very interesting that you raise that point because uh, the Pakistani who was the, uh, the New York bomber uh, that was captured getting on the airplane, uh, Shahan, he, he said to the judge in court, when the judge asked him the question, did you swear allegiance to the United States? And he said, yes, but I didn't mean it. And he can do that in Islam because they, there's a doctrine of deception it's called takiya in Arabic, and uh, you, you are, if you're in danger or you're, 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 what you're doing and what you are about uh, is, is jeopardized, you have the right to deceive people as to your true intent. And uh, it's a doctrine that is used, uh, historically has been used, and so, you know, that's what he did. So, yes, I think it's very difficult for a Muslim. I, I really feel sorry for the Muslim who comes to the United States and uh, wants to be a citizen, but he basically is a, truly fundamental in terms of his belief in Islamic doctrine because he has a conflict, and the conflict is how can I swear allegiance to the United States and mean it it, uh, when my doctrine says that uh, I can do it to deceive people, but I really don't believe that. And so that oath that they take, that we all take, is a problem. And uh, I, I think the whole thing is, is very, very difficult for them. And I, I feel sorry for them from that standpoint. Now, if they're a secular Muslim, and they've come, you know, just to take advantage of our color, uh, country and the economic situation and things like that that we have, that we offer, and the freedoms we offer, uh, and they put those doctrines behind them, well, then, you know, that's a different story. And, but how you determine that? You know, our homeland security people really have a problem, Steve, in terms of ascertaining... Uh, what the truth is behind somebody when they take that oath. So Rick Austin, the young teacher, journalist, and reserve officer, he gets called back into active duty. His friend Sam gets an employment offer he can't refuse, but then he finds out that there's a terrorist plot going on, and it sounds like the jihadists are in the middle of it, and there's the part the FBI plays in it. It's a mystery thriller. It's very today it uh, fills up the newscasts often. So 
Luke, we appreciate you being with us, and and tell us how to get your book. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's LukeLloyd.com, and uh, I must say I'm not very good with websites, but uh, I'm trying, and <laughs> it needs to be changed over time. But uh, you can also get it through Amazon.com uh, and through Author House, who is the publisher of the book. Well, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. I enjoyed it very much. That was Luke Lloyd. He is the author of his book, Out of Darkness.